Are you tired of boring lectures and textbooks on human factors and UX? Well, grab your headphones and get ready for a wild ride with the Human Factors Minute podcast. Each minute is like a mini crash course packed with valuable insights and information on various organizations, conferences, usability methods, theories, models, certifications, tools, and much more. We'll take you on a journey through the fascinating world of human factors, from the ancient history to the latest trends and developments. Listen in as we explore the field and discover new ways to enhance the user experience. From the think aloud protocol to the critical incident technique, focus groups, iterative design, we'll make sure that you're the smartest person in the room. Tune in on the 10th, the 20th, and the last day of every month for a new and interesting tidbit related to human factors. Don't miss out on the Human Factors Minute podcast, your ultimate source for all things human factors. Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's episode 275. We're recording this live on March 9th, 2023. This is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today by Barry Kirby. Hello. Hey there. Our internet checks out tonight, hopefully. <laughs> Mine does. Anyway, on tonight's episode, we'll delve into the topic of the AI revolution, identify eight indicators that suggest it might be spiraling out of control. Later, we'll be addressing some of the in inquiries from our community, including whether AI will replace UX researchers, negotiating for a salary increase in under 60 days, and coping with the feeling of being lost as a researcher. But first, got some programming notes, community update. Hey, Human Factors Minute is live now, y'all. Go listen. Go have a listen to that. Uh, if you haven't already, um, I guess some 20-something episodes are live now. And tomorrow on the 10th, you'll get another episode already. Uh, and then you'll get another episode on the 20th. And then another one on the 30th. You see how that works? It's great. Uh, also, I want to share with you all that this show is community-supported. If you so, if you can, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Just a buck gets you in the door and gets you access to a whole bunch of cool things. In fact, we're now playing around with our pre-show and our post-show where we're going to have our Patreon members call in and discuss some topics with us. So that's cool. We tried it out tonight with some of the people from the lab. It's a, it's a great thing. So if you want to get involved that way, you can. Like I said, buck gets you in the door. You can mess with our show notes too. So that's always fun. Uh, hey, Barry, before we start tonight, I want to jump in and just ask you, what's the latest over at 1202? So at 1202, we've got a new episode up, with, which is an interview with Martin, Martin Bromley OBE, who is the um, person who founded the Clinical Human Factors Group over here in the UK. And he gives us a whole bunch of insight into not only the work he's doing in setting it up and and the reasons why his story around um, how he lost his wife through a what should have been a um, a routine operation, and and unfortunately she passed away um, due to the a lack of understanding within the, within the operating theatre or lack of communication within the operating theatre. That's a fairly well known story. But actually, with the interview he did with us, he shared a bunch of other stuff um, a lot about how he got interested in human factors right at the start of his flying career because he because he's a pilot and and there's some other stuff in there that he that he talks about but the biggest interesting thing that we need to take note of is he challenged us as a human factors community 
to up our game in how we sell the human factors, how we tell people what it's about rather than just assuming that they do. So challenge taken. Yeah, go listen to that episode for a little bit more context. Uh, for now, why don't we go ahead and get into the reason you're all here. That's right. This is the part of the show all about Human Factors news. Barry, what's the story this week? So this week, the same as it was last week, is about the eight signs that AI revolution is spinning out of control. So the AI revolution is expanding rapidly with new tools and products emerging that use artificial intelligence and machine learning to enhance the user experience. However, this unregulated field has the potential to be hugely disruptive to various industries and even our way of life. This article highlights the eight warning signs that the robot revolution could get very messy. Big corporations are using AI to perform uh, to replace various professions, such as coders, voice actors, and even journalists. Additionally, AI is being used to automate the justice system and write screenplays. Surveillance systems are in integrating AI, creating super smart spying apparatus. Furthermore, the AI arms race is starting, with tech giants feverishly de developing their own respective AI tools. While the benefits of AI seem evident, the concerns about their potential drawbacks and limitations are becoming increasingly relevant. There is a significant role here for human factors practitioners in this field, because it's essential to ensure that the AI is designed, developed, and implemented responsibly, ethically, and in consideration of the impacts of human factors, including safety, performance, and usability. So, Nick, is, is your AI getting out of control? Yes. We know the answer to that. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, let me let me first preface this by saying my boss uh, has described me as high on AI. So there's there's that. But let me my reaction to this is that yeah, you can you can look at it as it getting out of control. But there's also to me this is just a bunch of new tools that we use for our jobs. Um, and I think the danger comes from trying to replace humans at their jobs when these things are doing a. Mm, a, a, a half-assed job of what a human can do. Like these, these things, to be clear, should be used to enable humans to do their jobs better. Um, so, I mean, you're absolutely right. The integration of AI into various industries, um, it, it needs to be considered from a human factors perspective. But I think this can actually increase creativity in a lot of ways. I mean, I've been able to explore a lot of things for the podcast and some offshoot side projects uh, very quickly and iterate on them very quickly, thanks to a lot of these AI tools that have been coming out here. Um, you know, this, this co-writing software like uh, ChatGPT or anything like that, um, they can actually provide you with new perspectives and ideas that you might not have actually thought about before coming to it, right? Um, and and even from like a creative perspective too, you can you can see like a you know give me an absurd story, and it'll just give you like something that completely goes against uh, the the norm, right? Because that's how those models are based. Uh, I, I do think that you're right. The unchecked integration of this AI into some of these industries can threaten jobs and accuracy and quality of life if those if the people responsible for those roles decide to fire the people in those seats because they feel like that AI can now do their job or the accuracy or quality of some of some work is sacrificed because the people in those seats are trusting the automation the artificial intelligence in those situations 
more inherently than they probably should. Right now, it's a supervisory control thing that we should be in a mode that we should be in to to review this content that the AI is spitting out, rather than taking it at face value and just moving with it. Right. Um, I think there's also the talk about the AI arms race in terms of tech giants, but I think there's also an AI literal arms race between countries and what kind of dangerous implications that could mean for us. Eh, I kind of don't want to talk about that right now, but that, that is just a point that I wanted to bring up. And lastly, for my initial thoughts, wow, we need a more cautious and responsible approach to this technology. And I've been saying this for weeks. Uh, every time we talked about AI, this, this technology is growing and uh, just becoming proliferating into our daily lives at a rate that is unsustainable from a, a, an ethical perspective and a, um, a and just a ethical tech perspective. I mean, think about all the laws and uh, policy that should be in place to protect people from things like deep, deep fake revenge porn or, you know, using somebody's voice without their uh, permission. So, I mean, there's, this tech is getting insane and we don't have the policy to back it up today. Barry, what are your thoughts on this article? I'm not that bothered. <laughs> no, I think with great any, <laughs> I think with any technical revolution and this for me, it is a technical revolution. It's a step change. It's going to change. Things are absolutely going to change, but it's also the Pandora's box. You, you're not, it, you cannot put it back in the box. And, and why would we really want to? So, Yes, as with any technical revolution, there are going to be there's going to be a change in jobs. There are absolutely is going to be. But jobs and whilst jobs will disappear, and I fully think that they that there are jobs that are going to disappear because of this, other jobs will be created. Um there will just be different jobs and um and we'll sort of see how that goes. Though there is an argument there as well that actually will the overall workload go down, therefore there will be less jobs overall. And there might be, and that sets us some different challenges. But for me, fundamentally, when you look at the jobs that AI is doing at the moment, we've talked a lot about chat GPT and them and them sort of uh, them sort of tools. They are largely looking at what pattern matching, um, repetitive, formulate tasks, stuff that would usually take us a bit of time. Um, we're, allowed, we're able to stitch things together. So actually, you, you're saving time, you're saving effort. And there's a level there is actually we're doing stuff that we never did before as well. So that's that's really quite cool. Um, I like the comment around, you know, what we said about AI writing code. I mean, why it's a surprise that AI can write better code and more consistent code than we can. It shouldn't actually be that much of a shock because code exists for us to be able to translate our our what it is that we want a computer to do into a mode that the computer understands therefore if the ai can understand what we want because we've told it it can generate better code than we can because because it's already there it's already a computer um so it is it is surprising just how good it is at doing it but we possibly shouldn't be that surprised um i think what worries most people is because it it's thrown a level of uncertainty there um it's it's thrown that level of right what happens next what is it what how is it going to affect me we've talked quite a lot about how this positively affects what we're doing we we i've been using some of this stuff to do you know test questionnaires and do um developer personas and and things like that but what does this mean i mean some of the big stories we've heard around sort of like teachers students generating um essays um essay content through chat gpt and then 
people going, well, if the students are not going to write proper essays anymore, then um, then then that's terrible. Actually, you know what that means is that the essay is possibly not the best tool for for doing um, assessment anymore. But then the flip side is true, where teachers have then been using Chat GPT to say, "Right, here's an essay that's been written. Mark it for me, please." Um, so, actually, flip side is true. Um, but I think at a really fundamental level, um, and this has come more to light for me with uh, my family being more becoming more arts focused, is we've talked talked about like the um, you know AI generating its own art and and things like that, and perhaps it not being as di distinguishable from human art, et cetera, et cetera. We're gonna have to really reflect on the value of the human intervention. Um, or the, the literally human generated stuff and what that means, because whilst nice, whilst AI can generate nice pictures, it doesn't generate a backstory into that. It doesn't have a journey. It doesn't have um, the 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 story of the inspiration uh, behind the generation of, of of art, which is only something I've come to appreciate. I think in the past couple of years, uh, because of my uh, daughter doing uh, well, both my daughters and my son doing art in various different ways, and so I've I've learned a lot more about that. But if you just want a nice picture on the wall, then maybe the AI generated art, art is for you. If you want something that's had the heart, soul, blood, sweat, and tears go into it. That's when you pay the big bucks for the human-generated stuff. So I think we both had some quite large reactions to 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 that. Uh, looking at, at both, so this relatively short story, like this. Oh, oh, I mean, uh, like oh. just to recap, really quick. This this story, this article, is 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 kind of an anomaly for for the type of thing that I usually like to put in the top stories. But I just knew that we could have a field day with it. So so really, this story is just a slideshow of you know, eight different industries in which AI is performing well, or I guess it's, it's maybe surprising, shocking, whatever, whatever you want to call it. There's, there's a lot that we can go with for this. And just to recap the article that we're actually talking about here, right? So they, the eight examples that they bring up, chat GPT passes a coding exam, right? That's kind of what we're referencing when we talk about AI being able to code. A judge uses ChatGPT in a legal case. So oh, it, it, I was going to say, yeah. let's jump on that one because that's a great example, I think. Sure. Um, because we've already talked about the coding one. So this this is when the the uh, the judge has, has used ChatGPT to render a judgment. What they what he hasn't done, I don't believe, because I, I think he'd already determined what the um, what the output should be. So they knew that um, guilty, blah, 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 blah. And so you already come to the decision and then ask ChatGPT to, to render the, um, the, the, the the decision text. Um, right. So what the argument should be and, and all that sort of stuff. Now, when you consider looking at that, actually at that point, the development of a decision is largely formulaic. So in the UK, as an example, so in, in a previous life, I used to be a magistrate. Um, and you used to get a, the, the way that you, once you come to the decision that somebody was guilty or not guilty or, or whatever, then there was a formula there largely for, right, uh, what's the punishment? And it was, depending on what you did, you got a range from a slap on the wrist all the way through to prison. And, and so the, the amount you went to prison for, for example, would then depend on whether you pled guilty, um, how early you pled guilty. So if you pled guilty the first opportunity, you got a third off your sentence, right? Because you've saved 
the amount of time and effort in the court. You, you're, the victims haven't had to come and give evidence, so you've saved them that. Um, that because that's not a nice thing, really. You know, so because you've ironically been sort of considerate, more consideration would have been not to do it in the first place. But because you've been considerate, you lo- you get a third off your sentence. So, but then all of that, the way it's structured, is is structured, and there's a book there that shows you how to pull that together. So the way that you put this together goes back to what I said in in my remarks, it's formulaic. So there's actually no reason at all why this decision shouldn't be in the first run um, developed by ChatGPT, because actually it might ensure that um, all the elements are there. You know, so if ChatGPT knows what this, what a, um, all the different elements are that, that need to be within the decision, it can check that that they are there. Or if it can, if, it, if they don't have, if it doesn't have the certain element, it can bring back a query. So I think that's quite powerful, and it might actually make for potentially better law. Could it could, and and you're absolutely right. I think in in the case of this specific this the specific court case, they were looking at uh, sort of it was it was concerning an autistic child's medical insurance situation, and you're right the the um the decision was rendered using chat gpt it wasn't necessarily making the judgment although it's not that far off like you were just describing to imagine a system that is making that type of judgment because right now we actually have artificial intelligence systems that are being used in conjunction with doctors to make diagnoses mm-hmm. and both situations both judicial and medical have implications for somebody's life. So, (laughs) you know, I I think it's not that far-fetched to say, what if you incorporate it? Because then even judges are, have bias, right? And so can you then get around bias by introducing AI? Well, then you have to make sure that it doesn't have algorithmic bias incorporated into the code or the model that it's using, make it as objective as possible. But then it can maybe render those judgments in a more fair and consistent way where it's not based on the color of your skin or the the circumstances around the uh, whatever happened. Right. I mean, I think there's there's a lot yeah. to be said here that it could actually make judge there's, rulings more fair. There's definitely going to be a, a level there that you could because, I mean, there is a certain level of humanity within judging your peers because that's effectively what it, even a judge or whether so we used to sit as um because we we were um magistrates you'd sit as a bench of three people because you in a view to try and equal out some of that bias um but you could quite easily see that um somebody could run the ai side of things on a decision and say right the the completely fair the da, da, da decision should be this um but actually the judge might turn around and say well actually i want to give a lesser um, you know, a, a smaller prison sentence or a lesser thing or a greater one, depending on particular circumstances of that case. Um, and you know, it might be that it was um, say an assault against uh, a, a uniform, a uniform per- personnel, which will render something higher. Uh, but even that, even that, you would actually take into account. So, but might be personal circumstances, might be anything. So there is that element of um. Where would you want human humane judgment put into place? Which I guess w- does that set it aside from the doctor's one when you um, 
where actually you want the best solution you can possibly get um and not have any sort of bias or um thing or thing from the human judgment because it you know when when you've got illness or something it could literally be anything um and the ai might throw something in there that says actually you haven't thought of this um right. and maybe the judgment then is is then afterwards yeah so so just to get back to the the article right like this this thing was relatively short um and we've already dug into one of these eight so again using chat to, using um ai to code using ai in the rendering of judicial decisions the next one here using ai to write screenplays after that replacing voice actors and if you stuck around with us last week in the pre-show i showed you how i actually emulated barry's voice didn't quite sound like him but it was close enough to where you know if you if i needed a, a pickup in in one of the things that barry records for human factors minute i could do so um replacing journalists uh in fact cnet was it got a lot of heat for this because a lot of their articles were actually they've been quietly publishing these uh ai generated articles um you know and and so without disclosing that and it's replacing journalists in some ways right yeah. so there's that one uh keeping on so here what would be, be really yeah. interesting with that is to know if they were willing to release the numbers as to whether their numbers went up and their their customer satisfaction went up or down because they've, of it. That, I, yeah. I would imagine that they did because they've flat out said that they're going to continue doing it. They're just going to disclose that it's an AI written article now. Um, and then you also have the stock market, which uh, a lot of AI is trying to solve right now. Cause if you can get predictive analytics about stocks, then you're going to make money. So mm -hmm. that's seven, eight is user, I guess slideshow eight. So number seven, using AI to spy on people. We talked a little bit about, this on the show a while back with using uh, facial recognition in various settings. And that's kind of what's going on here. There's a lot of, um, you know, especially that in, in Russia, there's AI that's being integrated into these massive security camera networks to um, basically make it so that there's no place to hide from yep. Big Brother. Then uh, the last piece here is the AI arms race between the Czech tech giants, I should specify, because you have sort of Microsoft buying OpenAI, integrating ChatGPT with Bing. And then you also have Google that has their uh, BARD, you know, that that's Google's solution to this. Um, and then you also have Facebook, who has Lambda. And so you have a bunch of different tech giants who have um, all these solutions that they're probably trying to position themselves to launch in a way that's going to get capture most of the market share for these similar type of uh, human natural language processing based models. Um, and so that's, that's the article in a nutshell. And just coming back to human factors 101, right? Human factors engineering plays an absolutely critical role when you try to look at the safe and effective design of these AI systems. And really, that can be evidenced by there's a whole technical group devoted to human AI robot teaming. And basically what they're looking at in that technical group is looking at basically having humans in the loop, uh, including other either AI or robots or both. Um, and, and um, having those embodied AI agents and then 
anything involving teaming, working together between those elements, right? So that's that's basically what that group is looking at, meaning that there's some human, human and then there's some agent, either a robot or an AI, that needs to be working together. And that's why I think ChatGPT, we talked about this in our ChatGPT episode, where it exemplifies UX, and I think we had some criticisms about that, but it is one of the most uh, easily understood interfaces where you're just talking to it and it responds to you using an amalgamation of of human language for the most average answer unless you specify otherwise but i think that should summer summarize the article for everybody and i like i said there's it's just slideshows with a little bit of context but there's so much that we could yeah. talk about here that i like i don't know we we really dug into that judge story where do you want to go next barry <laughs> Well, I guess just to follow a bit about what you're saying around um, how this stuff has developed. So it's worth highlighting that the um, CIHF, the Chinese Institute for Economic Factors, have produced guidance on the use of AI. Now, specifically here, they produced guidance for AI in healthcare because that's one that's that's one of the bits that that we mentioned, and and they basically come up with um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight eight main areas i should should have written that down before i did it but fundamentally they're looking at um that or they're highlighting the fact that we should we should be considering uh situational awareness about how ai can support rather than erode people's essay um workload it's automatically thought that um, ai would reduce people's workload but actually in some situations it could increase it so you've got to be careful on that automation bias which you mentioned earlier um explanation and trust people need to be able to trust what they're doing but be able to dig into any decisions that are made to understand where they come from should they require it a bit like what we have when i guess when we're looking at maps um you know we google plots as a um a route well we want to know where that where that comes from um the human ai teaming the that interface between a human operator and the ai operator needs to be uh, needs to be solid um training it's it's almost i mean we talked. We did talk about this in ChatGPT, but also a couple of others, where the you've got to be able to operate the system to the best of its ability and to be able to deliver what it is what you want to do. Now that might involve either a really good HCI, which is my preferred solution, uh, to be developed, but you'll need a level of training as well. Not only to understand what it can do, but also what it can't do. Um, Relationships between staff and patients is something really specific for the um, healthcare element, but you need to be able to understand um how then relationships need to be considered so will the use of ai make stuff more remote um from the patient and um or will it will it create a level of uh, almost a barrier between them when you don't have that level of decision making or that level of whatever happening as close as it is at the moment and then fundamentally i think we mentioned this before ethical issues there's a whole bunch of ethical issues around where the data comes from, how the data is used, the algorithms, as we mentioned before, how they are developed in a, and the level of bias that they have in between them. Um, so there's a whole lot of stuff there and making sure that fundamentally in healthcare, that what they talk about is minimizing harm. And I think that I can't think of a sector where that wouldn't be relevant. So I thought it was just useful just to rattle through them. And because and, I think most of them are relevant to other instantiations of AI as well. I can't think of anything that wouldn't. Can you know? No. Um, <laughs> I mean, like I'm, I'm looking at this article from, from a lot of different perspectives, right? There's uh, obviously I've been 
tooting the horn of of we need some sort of government regulation on the the ethical use of AI technology in our everyday lives, right? And, and I think this kind of goes along the same lines of what you were saying there at the end is the, about the ethical issues. And let's let's talk about ethical considerations when it comes to the use of AI, because I think the more we get into, like you said earlier, the, this Pandora's box that we've opened, it's going to be harder and harder to close it. So how do you solve the problem of of these technologies already using people's likeness without their consent? Uh, well, you you punish it, but there's, how do you, it, it shouldn't be around in the first place, but now that box is open and and people are probably using it in, in their workflows, right? Like you have Disney who's using, a uh, deep fake of Mark Hamill in in The Mandalorian. Spoilers mm -hmm. for spoilers for uh, uh you know a <laughs> couple seasons old. But uh you know you have that technology being used in entertainment. And but that same technology is being used by malicious actors. And you also have people who have been um using the the deep fake voices, right? And this is this is a big one that I want to talk about because I use it for genuine uh, you know, not malicious purposes. I've made a joke that I, you know, had Barry say some really nice things about me working with me on the show and Blake too. But the reason that I have that technology is so that way I don't, you know, if Barry um, messed up a line or something or something just didn't come through clear enough when he's reading a human factors minute, I can go in and retype that sentence up five times, have him say it five different ways, and then pick the best cut to intersplice with the rest of his actual live read that makes it sound more complete. Um, you know, and it's, it's something that I can do without having to go to Barry and say, Hey, can you re-record that? Uh, it just what well, you know, mm -hmm. if it was on the wrong mic, I might do it, but, um, <laughs> Because that's a problem that we've had, Barry. But okay. that's not the first time. That's but a... you, with that same technology that I just described, having a a very legitimate use case, you have other people calling grandma, saying, "Hey, I'm in prison and I need help. Mm -hmm. Can you bail me out? Send the money to this Walmart gift card. Like that is what people are doing." And because it sounds like the person and hey, Barry, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but we have a ton of audio samples out there on the Internet. Yep. So anyone in my family, if unless you know it's from my number, don't, you know, or unless I can prove it without a reasonable doubt that it is me. Ask me some personal questions to verify. I think that's, you know, th that is a dangerous technology that's out there. Right. And. It just it blows my mind that we haven't that our progress with some things are so slow when the threat of these things is so real. And it it can be this article can be looked at from an alarmist perspective. And I think it is in a lot of ways. But basically, the whole point that I'm trying to make here is that this AI technology has had a lot of positive impact, but we need some way to mitigate that negative impact that it will have for culture and society. And we need to do that ethically and we need to do that now. So I would, I don't know. I would, I would almost <laughs> counter it with you in terms of what do you, in terms of law, in terms of creating some sort some, um, some stuff there, what is it actually saying? And the reason I say that is, a lot of the stuff that we've mentioned, it's about how people use it. And, you know, 
if we if we have something of good, people are always going to find something bad to do with it. Um, but when we come to creating law, when we come when we come to create this sort of this this sort of stuff, you need to be able to articulate what it is that you're legislating against, what the measures are, what the implications are, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think that in either of our governing legislatures, um, we have the right sort of people who understand this stuff in order to be able to legislate effectively um, against what it is that we want them to legislate against. Because right now, I don't know what it is that we're legislating against, really. Apart from gross statements saying, don't be bad with it. <laughs> one person, you know, I mean, one, you've, you've, you've laid a very good example of we don't want anybody deep faking us but we can deep fake each other because that's really useful. Right. You know, but if, if, you, if you stop, start, if the legislation would have to turn around and say, don't deep fake. And therefore they is, is, is that, that has then cut into the useful aspects of it. Cause actually how many people are truly deep faking and the ones who are using it in a malicious way, well, they don't care about the law in the first place. So it hasn't, it, it doesn't cut out, cut that bit out, you know? So Barry, I got it. I got it. Here's what we go. do. We, we make an AI that mm -hmm. basically writes an argument for why it is or for, for what it is that we want to legislate against. And then we use an AI system in a judicial setting to determine a ruling on that case. And then we get an AI to write up a bill that will, you know, take that ruling and present it to a bunch of representatives and senators. And then um, we turn it into law. That's how it, that's how it works. That's a simple solution. See, we got it. We did it. Right. I'm just just doing that right now. Hold on a second. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I figured you were. Um, but I, I, you're right. You're right. There. I mean, the. I guess my call is specifically for people to understand what it is that this technology can do, and to it. It is. It is. You're right in the sense of don't do this thing is the easy way to patch it. But there's also another easy way to patch it. Don't commit hate crimes with this thing. Don't commit crime with this thing. Don't do things that are going to hurt other people because of this thing. And but that. But then if you, but then if you take out of your sentences but, just there with this thing, then that would just be a lot easier. If we just ask people not to commit crime whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. But then, but look, here's the here's the difference, Barry. Is that if you have it written somewhere, it's easier to put up a case for when it does go in the bad direction. That's all I'm saying. That's true. Like we get, we we have nothing right now. Nothing. They're still talking to Facebook. <laughs> like, something that's not been relevant for a while right so like you know at least among younger generations it just doesn't <laughs> matter so like here's the thing is that's where their mind's at and it should just be like make a blanket statement for now doing this stuff is oh. bad doing stuff that hurts other people is bad okay don't do it with this technology and then we'll determine what those specific things are later but yeah. yeah, that's not the way the law works. Um, no, <laughs> but the but according to my my learned friend that I've just I've just um, asked about this. Oh, 
apparently we have to define what deepfake audio actually is. So fundamentally get that bit right. And then prohibit the creation and distribution of it. Now the the it, it actually thought about this because actually if we wanted to do it as if we give explicit consent, then that's fine. But it's the um either implicit or no consent that, that makes it illegal. Then we need to impose some penalties. Um establish some methods for detection and enforcement, provide some exceptions. Um, so such as those who were using it for educational research or artistic purposes, which is what I think we are. And then we're going to educate the public, which is what we're doing right now. Right. So we already have, we already have, we're doing half it already. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> I have to go back and look at the document that you signed when you were first a guest on this show, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure it said that I could use your likeness in, in things. But I mean, that's, that's the explicit, uh, the explicit consent. And that's the thing that like, that makes sense, right? You've given me permission to use your voice in the production. And it's again, just to do pickup stuff. It's not like I'm going to generate an entire thing for you and put you out of work. Uh, like this technology might be used for voice actors, right? I can imagine a world where um, you have like voice actors or something. And, like I can imagine it being used in a very similar way right now. Well, not replacing voice actors, but in the sense that it it's a pickup when you can't get that voice actor in the studio or to send over a couple lines and it will just increase the production speed at which you can do stuff because then it's no longer dependent on scheduling. You could have them say it in five different ways, right? I mean, like I could have, uh, I don't know. I could make myself say welcome to human factors cast 10 different ways. And I'm going to do that right now, just as a, a <laughs> an example. But, um, you know, I think that's, that's what we're looking at here is uh, using it in ways that hopefully won't hurt people. Hopefully those voice actors will still get paid, but again, using the technology in ways that is not intended. That is like, how do you define that line? And you're absolutely right. I mean, I guess that an, an interesting one would be that just made me think was there's a greater amount of um, animated um, content out there now. So more movies that are made out of um, pure animation, et cetera, et cetera. Why do you need to hire actors to, to voice them anymore? When you could just use AI to um, to to voice them, that will give the um, the the production companies that are making them um, them films a lot more freedom uh, to be able to do what they want and at the times that they want and at the speed of what they want as well. Um, that could be interesting. Yeah, so no, that, you're right. You're right. I mean, it, directors. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, now, I did promise that I would make myself say, welcome to Human Cap Factors Cast. My name is Nick Rome a couple times. Uh, and, you know, so that way I don't disappoint. Here you go. Here, here it is. Welcome to Human Factors Cast. My name is Nick Rome. <laughs> welcome to Human Factors Cast. My name is Nick Rome. Welcome to Human Factors Cast. My name is Nick Rome. Welcome to Human Factors Cast. My name is Nick Rome. Welcome to Human Factors Cast. My name is Nick Rome. I haven't hit puberty yet. Apparently, I was going to uh, say. I mean, you, you could. I was like, going to say it's easy. I could. I could do it with Barry too. Just while we're at it, you know, why not? <laughs> but I mean, you can tell. Like that's that's based off one sample of something yeah. that I recorded. Welcome years to ago. Human Factors Cast. My name is Nick Rome. Welcome to Human Factors Cast. My name is Nick Rome. Welcome to Human Factors Cast. My name is Nick Rome. Welcome to Human Factors Cast. My name is Nick Rome. Welcome to Human Factors Cast. My name is Nick Rome. All right, I'm, that's enough I, of that. Thirteen. <laughs> Jeez, and I'm not. That's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness, what a fun piece of tech. 
Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you can see, you can see where that, that threat is and you can see where, um, yeah, <laughs> Alex in the chat. I hate all of that. <laughs> yeah, me too. I need to put more, more voice samples in my sample. So it sounds more like me. Um, all right, Barry, I, I, we've talked a lot about this and I've touched like none of the notes that I wanted to, uh, what are your final thoughts here on this article as we move into the next part of the show? I think I just almost hit with what I said right at the beginning. I, I think the, the Pandora's box, the, the lid's off. Um, there is a lot of stuff that this can do. Yes as with any other technologies, then we need to apply a level of caution. We need to be doing this with an eyes wide open approach. Um, but I also think that um, it's exciting. I think it's a, uh, what a time to be alive to see this level of te technology that is, it's not so much, I mean, AI in of itself has been around for a long time now comparatively, but it's accessible now. It's accessible in a way that is, is you and me, uh, non-experts, true, not non-true experts in the field, can actually utilize it and make some significant benefit out of it. Yeah, for me, it's let's think about the ethics of this technology, um, not just from a law perspective, as a society perspective, and what that means for people and how to integrate with this technology successfully. Like I said, a lot of good can become can come from this technology, and we've used it in many different ways on the show. In fact, in, in some really positive ways, I think. And just, I guess the last piece here is thinking about educating others and training others to understand when something is written by an AI, or generated by an AI, it's fairly easy for those who know what to look for in terms of, you know, sentence structure and patterns. You can almost tell if something was written by an AI without a, a detector. Um, and then to understand that this technology is available for people to use. And so that way, you know, if anyone does call, call grandma, they know it's not me because they, they know what to listen for. You know, mm -hmm. my voice doesn't crack like that when I say my name is Negro. <laughs> like that's although I just did. So, you know, that's that's I guess my final take on this is let's get some education and training out there for folks to know that this technology exists because it's hitting it's hitting mainstream now. All right. Well, thank you to our patrons and all of you for this week for selecting our topic. And thank you to our friends over at Gizmodo for our news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post the links to all the original articles, weekly roundups on our blog. You can also join us on Discord for more discussion on these stories and much more. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community right after this. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends.
Yes, huge thank you as always to our patrons. We especially want to thank our Human Factors cast, All Access patron Michelle Tripp. Patrons like you truly keep the show going. Like I mentioned at the top, a buck gets you in the door, gets you access to a bunch, bunch of great stuff. Uh, and um, you know what? I think we're going to try something different in the middle of the show uh, because no one listens to this. So why not just read this uh, dumb ad, right? <clears throat> hey, you know what's hotter than a fresh mic? The merch store for our podcast. That's right, folks. We have a merch store filled with some of the coolest designs you've ever seen. <laughs> I'm not just talking about any old t-shirts here. We got designs that are so witty and quirky, you'll be the envy of all your friends. Like our It Depends... Oh, the complete wrong shirt that I grabbed. Uh, <laughs> like our It Depends shirts. Perfect for those moments when you can, when you just can't make up your mind. Speaking of make a, making up your mind, have you seen our show logo shirts? Like the one I'm holding up right now? And let me tell you, it's the ultimate fashion statement. You'll be the talk of the town when you sport this bad boy. It's <laughs> dying. But wait, there's more. We also got designs based on human factors culture. That's right, folks. It's not just a podcast. We're a culture. And if you want to be a part of it, then you need to check out our... Now I know what you're thinking, but host, I are... <laughs> But Nick, I already support the show by listening. And to that, I say, why not support the show and look good doing it? Trust me, your wardrobe will thank you. So head on over to our merch store and let's make some magic happen. Just don't blame me when you become the most popular person in your social circle. Wow, that was dumb. All right. Well, yeah, anyway. It came from. It came from. <laughs> try, try, try skipping over those now. <laughs> Come for the embarrassment. Oh. All right. Yes, it is time for It Came From. This is where we scour the depths of the internet to bring you the most buzzworthy topics that are currently making the waves in the community. If you find any of these answers useful, give us a like to help other people find this content, or even if you like that terrible ad read. All right. Our first one tonight is from Train 4997 on the UX Research subreddit. They write... Uh, will AI replace the need for UX researchers? Do we need to become generalists to stay relevant and hired or shift focus from qualitative to quantitative? Will AI reduce the need for UX research? What are your predictions? Barry, what are your predictions on this? Um, yes, but but no. Um, Explain. <sighs> Do I have to? I put yeah, the whole point. Oh, right. Okay. Um, yeah, I think... I think our job changes. I think the our job evolves. The I think the note about saying about becoming generalists is possibly more true because we're going to be able to do a lot more types of analysis or a lot, lot more um, research using um, AI tools. So I think it it is going a lot of the I guess the um, the harder work, the, uh, the the sluggish type work might disappear. We can get AI to do that, and it's almost like we said in the in the main article the the stuff that you the, that doesn't actually require that much inspiration behind it. The stuff that is just gathering stuff, analyzing stuff. Again, we might be able to do that quicker and better and faster, allowing you to really unleash what why a human is in, is in the loop of all of this is because of the insights that we can bring. So I go back to yes, it'll change. But no, I don't think we need to worry too much about our own our roles to stay relevant because um, all we've done is change the question. Nick, what do you think? Nah, man. No. I mean, look, there's there's a whole technical group devoted to 
human AI robot teaming. There's going to be a need for humans to design for how we in integrate with uh, technology, no matter what it is. And I think in terms of AI replacing us, no, we need to team with it. It can augment the research progress process. Like you said, like there's, there's various tasks that it can do to help speed it along. Um, like, I don't know, an analyzing a transcript or something. It can pull out some key quotes, but you know, like stuff that maybe you would have missed otherwise, because it's a big, long interview, um, you, you know, and I think there's some real value in that type of thing, being able to quickly perform, you know, word clouds of, of, uh, you know, which words were said the most often, who was talking the most often, all that stuff exists now, right? Like in the technology. And I think I use some of those tools just in terms of understanding who was dominating the conversation and maybe who was more softer spoken in terms of, okay, well, maybe I want to, you know, circle in on some of the stuff that they were saying. It's there. Just learn to work with it. Um, will it replace us? No. It might be useful to become a generalist, to broaden your skill set, uh, and to be able to work with various types of technology, increase your versatility a little bit. But I, th I don't think it's going to replace us entirely. Not yet. There's there's actually a really cool chart out there, and I wish I had it to, to reference, but it was kind of illustrating when various jobs will be replaced by, fully replaced by artificial intelligence. We're a long way out. Don't worry mm -hmm. about it. All right, let's get into this next one. Asking for a raise 60 days in. This is by Maddie Light on the Human Factors subreddit. They say, I started at a consulting firm 60 days ago and things are going well, but my workload has increased significantly. Despite receiving a good sign-on bonus, I feel taken advantage of and want to ask for a pay increase. I'm unsure how my supervisors will react. Any advice? Well, um, my gut feel is, I mean, you're two months in. Um, you've got your um, foot under the door, um, that type of thing. Uh, Pat says, suck it up, buttercup. Because why? it depends on that workload, really. Has that workload significantly increased and you can see it going on for a long time? Or is it increased and it is just going on a... Um, it, it, you're on a blip um if you really think and you you know you you think you've uh within two months you've the pay that you negotiated was too low for what you're doing then absolutely you're you're within your right to um to, to go and say you want a uh, you want an increase i can tell you how your supervisors will more than likely react which will either be if they're going to do it nice and say um well why don't you wait another couple of months because really Asking for a pay rise within six months, I would suggest, unless it's significantly, significantly out, um, then somebody didn't do the due, due diligence on one side or the other, um, then um, I, I think you would struggle to justify that. I've been on the side of the supervisor and um, in a sort of similar situation. I don't think it wasn't a workload issue, um, but somebody just tried to take advantage and let's say it didn't go down well. Nick, what do you think? Would you would you go and be um, asking for the pay rise? Uh, look, I mean, here's here, uh, here's how I feel about it. Uh, there's some cases where perhaps you want to be a good new employee and you take on more and more things that maybe you can't handle within your role. I'm not saying that's what's happening here um, because it sounds like they genuinely enjoy the work. And I think ultimately what we're looking at here is, are you getting paid fairly compared to 
industry? Is it a, you know, do your research there. Um, you asked for a certain amount when you started, and that's some of the other context of this question that I didn't read, but they asked for a certain amount when they started and they didn't quite um, get that amount. And now they're trying to get that amount based on the amount of work doing. That should have stayed in the negotiation phase, I think. Um, now, if if the roles and responsibilities are vastly different than what you signed on for, I think that is fair for you to bring that to the table and say, hey, look, you know, we've just saying it like it is. The roles and responsibilities that we talked about that were listed in the job description are not the things that I am performing. I am performing things that are, you know, compared to another to, to another position in industry. That is what I'm doing. And therefore, I think I think I should fairly be compensated for it. I think that's reasonable. Take a proactive approach, um, though, also when it comes to your workload, work-life balance. There's some other things in this in this question that uh, like getting Teams messages at 8 p.m. Um, mm-hmm. Don't respond to them. <laughs> like if you're not on at eight, don't respond to them. Uh, don't feel like you need to respond to things at eight uh, and and push back against some of those boundaries. I think that's some of my advice. I don't know. All right. One last one here. Let's get into this. I'm starting to lose my way as a researcher. This is by UX Anonymous on the UX Research subreddit. As the sole UX researcher in a young organization, my manager, a designer, and his manager, a product manager, both influence my research. Product managers run their own research, and some designers do their own research with a few users. I don't know how to handle this situation. I don't want to be redundant, but I also don't want to feel undervalued. Barry, how do you approach something like this? I think we've had similar to this before. Talk to people. Uh, If you're feeling that way that what looks like quite a a relatively small team, and yet you've got different people doing elements of your role, you've got to ask yourself the question, You've got to ask yourself the question first, why are they doing that? Is it because they're using people that they know and therefore can have a good uh, relationship with them? Um, is it because that they've that's just the way they've always done things and maybe you're new into the organization they don't realize what your capability is? But fundamentally, talk to them. Try and set some boundaries. Try and set some, um, get an understanding from them about why they're, because they might not realize the way that they're making you feel as well they might think they're doing, you're doing uh, they're doing you a favor so yeah have a chat and sort it out fundamentally um yeah i've got nothing better than that just just break down the boundaries Barry, barry's advice uh interpersonal skills and i mean yeah i mean that is that is a lot of it right i think establishing clear roles responsibilities across the team who is responsible for what can certainly help out here especially if it is a a fairly new organization i think you can definitely you know establish those boundaries and say no 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 i i do the research you guys can assist with the way in which we conduct research by generating questions uh and giving them to me so that way i can phrase them free of bias that type of thing right so i mean there's ways in which you can establish those expectations and guidelines for how it should be conducted internally with you and your team and how your research being done effectively can support their efforts. And I think that's an important framing for this question. Make sure that they know what's in it for them because they might think that they're doing research, but if they're not doing research in a way that's actually getting the results that they're looking for or that's 
they're not interpreting it in the right way because it hasn't gone through a researcher first, then I think that's where you can provide that sort of perspective and value and say, look, here, look, look at what I've done. Um, and like Barry said, you know, building those relationships with those other folks, your job isn't just to interface with users. It's also to be a communicator internally across teams, make sure that the people who are, are getting the results of this research are understanding what you're communicating. And to do that rapport is really important across multiple, you know, different stakeholders. So that's what I got. Okay. It's time for the show. It's just one more thing. Barry, what's your one more thing this week? So today's been one of those days, and I think I might, I might have, I don't know whether I've hinted this to you, but I've had a really long day today, about 15 hours and counting. So part of that was because I got invited to be part of a community panel um, at our, one of our local universities at Swansea University, where they've been developing, so their um, AI Basically, they've got a whole bunch of students who were, who were learning AI and PhD students who were developing AI-based projects. Part of what they do is then say, well, you can take part of a, take part in a community project where you give up basically a 20% of your time and invest that into community into a community project of kind of your choice, group, group as a team, et cetera, but see how you can use AI for good. And what I liked about the whole approach is it's the, developing AI but from a user-centered approach. Basically, what I went to was a whole presentation of about, I think it was eight to 10 different projects, some of about six months in, some of them were right at the beginning. And it was just brilliant because there were some things there about, um, one team was was doing a whole bunch of um, stuff around music that had been generated within the city historically. And they wanted to create a um, almost a, an, a website that, that catalogs all of this, but gives you a really in-depth experience, also using QR codes in the actual city itself, which is fab. And then also through to educational tools for biodiversity, um, recognizing plants and what they do, what they, what the impacts are, and et cetera, and then being able to log them and stuff like that. So really fantastic evening, good couple of hours, uh, listening to some really, really super motivated students um, doing uh, using AI for community good. What more can you want of an evening? That's awesome. I'm I'm actually really jealous that you got to experience that because it really ties in nicely with our topic this week. I think uh, it, it's good to see. It's good to see. Um, my one more thing this week uh, is I'm going to pick this one because <laughs> it's been on it's been on here for a couple of weeks. The Last of Us. Uh, I don't know if you've been watching this, Barry. Uh, I've only I've only watched the first episode, first couple of episodes so far, so no spoilers. I won't. I won't. It's um, it's just a thing where we are really looking forward to disappointment every week and 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 heartbreak, I should say, too. It's not disappointment in the sense of like the show is bad. The show is fantastic. Uh, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, my wife and I are sitting there all day Sunday preparing We're like, OK, you you ready for the heartbreak and, and um, you ready for it? Deep breaths. So I don't know. I just I find it fascinating that a piece of media can be so challenging emotionally and that you're looking forward to it on a weekly basis. Uh, if that makes sense, I don't know. It's just, it's just amazing what some of that media can do. Um, so with that being said, that's it for today, everyone. If you like this episode and enjoy some of the discussion about AI, some of its applications, I'll encourage you to go listen to episode 268. It's our chat GPT episode and how it exemplifies chatbot UX Comment wherever you're listening with what you think of the story this week. For more in-depth discussion, you can always join us on our Discord community. 
visit our official uh, website and stay up to date with all the latest news, uh, Discord community, all that stuff. Uh, wow, I've really lost the train of thought here. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, there's a couple ways that you can do that. One, you can leave us a five-star review. You can do that wherever you're listening right now. Stop and just give us a five-star review. We love those. We love those. Two, you can always tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is really how we grow. So if you liked what we talked about tonight and think others might find value in this conversation too, let them know. Three, if you have at least a dollar, you can support us on Patreon and get access to a bunch of really cool stuff, like I've been mentioning throughout the the show tonight. Uh, so it's like I haven't done an outro in weeks, Barry. <laughs> As always, links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode. Mr. Barry Kirby, thank you for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about how to prompt ChatGPT to write up uh, ethical guidelines for AI? Well, if you want to go and talk to me about stuff like that, well, you go to ChatGPT and type it in and see what it comes out with. But fundamentally, you can find me on Twitter at Baz underscore K. Or if you want to listen to some uh, interviews with influential human factors practitioners and associated people, then find me at uh, 1202 The Human Factors Podcast at 1202podcast.com. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on our Discord and across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time. It It depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors Practitioners, and on 1202 The Human Factors Podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.